Welcome to Focused on Forward. The purpose of this podcast is to focus on recovery from life situations, be it a disease, chronic or acute, perhaps the loss of someone so dear to you in death, or a change of life patterns that has affected you so profoundly that you have no choice but to find your new normal and become focused on moving forward. Each episode is designed to show the positivity that people bring to each and every one of their stories, the successes they've had, ways that they have become so definitively focused on moving forward. We look forward to sharing their stories, and we hope that they inspire you just as much as they have inspired us. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to Focused on Forward. I have the pleasure of talking with Kevin McNulty today from the Grow Yourself podcast. And we're going to talk to Kevin about transitions. You know, sometimes the things that we have to overcome in life aren't the things that are knocked down, drag out, take us down to the floor. Sometimes the things that we have to endure is life itself, the changes in life. And those can be challenging. Those can be difficult at times, and they can present a whole new slew of obstacles that we have to learn how to work around and how we have to learn to become focused on forward with those things. So I'm very excited to hear Kevin's story. I'm very excited for for Kevin to share his story with all of us, and we're going to be able to learn, just as he has learned, how to grow yourself. Kevin, thank you, and welcome to Focused on Forward. Tim, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited uh, to be able to talk to you. Uh, once we started uh, you know, messaging back and forth, I was looking through the one sheet that you sent me and some information about you. And, and so I've been, I've been excited to have this conversation because I think sometimes you know, we, we cover a lot of deeper topics on, on this show. You know, we've, uh, you know, if you look back through the history of the show, we've covered some pretty deep things. But I think also sometimes, uh, not that this isn't a deep topic, but I think that sometimes we forget that the, the, the daily struggles that we go through are also a challenge themselves. And so some of the things that I know that you're going to talk about today are part of those, those challenges, the pacing of life and the challenges and the changes that we go through. And so I'm really excited to hear not only what you went through, but also I'm more excited to see how you move forward. So when you're ready, please share your story with us. Well, I really appreciate it, and uh, and I love the way you set that up. Uh, you're, you know, I don't need to say it, but you're exactly right about this. You know, and, and I will just say f- from the outset because I will refer to it. Um, you know that I wrote a book on major life transitions. It's called The Gap Between Two Worlds, and and it was born out of exactly what you're talking about. My situation, I, you know, I wouldn't even call it extraordinarily different than other people. But it was a long series of changes and transitions that I went through throughout my life. And it came to sort of a pinnacle when I retired from the Air Force. Well, it's coming up on 22 years now uh, ago. And so it kind of goes like this. I grew up in a military family. So my dad was in the Army, Special Forces. God rest his soul. He just died last uh, April. Uh, He, you know... As a re- and he spent a career in the Air Force and so, excuse me, in the Army. And so we spent most of our lives moves, moving around, as many military people do. Two or sure. three years, you know, we're off to another place. In our case, again, like a lot of military people, we moved, we lived overseas. I bet you I lived, oh, well, you know, maybe upwards of 10 years of my youth overseas or, okay. or something to this effect. 
So, but it was always going overseas, coming back, going overseas, coming back, going to Massachusetts, coming back to North Carolina, going to Georgia, going, it was this constant move. And so part of what happened there is that change and transition was just part of my life. It was, I knew no difference. So then in uh, around 1977, when I, when I graduated from high school, I moved up to, uh, I eventually moved up to Bowling Green, Kentucky for a short period of time, as I hoped that I could make it in the music world, you know, uh, being near Nashville, my, my father, um, he was, he was teaching at Western Kentucky. And so it took me, oh, I would say about two, three days to realize I wasn't even close. I mean, I was so far <laughs> out of the ballpark when it came to, I mean, I was a pretty prolific songwriter. I bet you by the time I was 19, I'd written two or 300 songs. Oh, wow. The, okay. The problem is, is that I just, you know, that when you get into the whole songwriting world and the recording industry world, it's a different gig altogether. And yes. I just wasn't even close and I'm not being modest. So anyways, I, I spent about a year there. And finally, my father started really hammering me about going into the military because I was I was kind of a hippie and lazy. And uh, I guess you could say I, I really didn't think of it that way. But in any event, uh, so I started rebelling. Now, I wasn't living with him, but I started rebelling his notion of going into the army and turning out like him. Sure. And so just to piss him off, I joined the Air Force and <laughs> little, <laughs> little did I know he could have cared less if it were, you know, any of the services, just go in the military and do something with your life was his thinking. And so honestly, it was probably the best thing that I did. So, you know, moving forward, I ended up um, with a couple of different uh, careers, even inside that 20 year Air Force, uh, probably most. Uh, most of the time was spent in an organization, in an organization that dealt with human relations, education and counseling and coaching. So I helped commanders and executives, or I should say managers, you know, deal with people problems. So I did 20 years, uh, married my wife, who's also a military veteran, Air Force veteran. We retired our career in Travis Air Force Base, which is outside of California, or not outside of California. It's in California, outside of, you know, Sacramento, San Francisco area. And uh, and so we moved here to the Nashville area. And uh, my goal was to become a coach, a consultant, a full time speaker, all of these sorts of things, basically work for myself. I figured, listen, essentially 40 years in the military is what I really looked at it. I'm I'm tired of people telling me what to do, so I'm going to do my own thing. Well. I would say about a year, no, probably six, nine months into this vet adventure, uh, a lot of different things started happening. The first thing that I realized was there was a honeymoon period. And of course, now in my research and in, and in looking at all these things, you know, I realized that in, in almost any, if you want to say positive change, you know, and it's all in degrees, there, there is indeed a honeymoon period, a period where you're moving from one life to the other, you're excited about it, let's just say full retirement. And then there comes a time when that those sort of uh, those endorphins, you know, fall away and, and you start to go, okay, now what? Reality so starts kicking in. Yeah, it's start, reality starts kicking in. That's exactly right. And so, I mean, that was the first thing that I noticed. And the second thing, though, Tim, was I realized I was like a fish out of water. Uh, you might as well. I mean, 
getting out of going into the private sector, say after 40 years. And truly, I, I say 40 years because I, I frankly sometimes felt like I was more in the military growing up than when I actually joined the military because my sure. dad was a, a tough military guy. And so sure. in any event, <clears throat> I tell people it's essentially like you, Tim, one day saying, you know what, I think next month I'm going to move to China. And you do that. And then you just realize how different everything is. Right. And that's the, that's the second big thing that I started realizing is that I had no concept really of what what the private sector looked like, how, you know, I didn't even know what the term human resources management was. We didn't use these terms. So I'm going into consulting and running a business. I've been in the military 40 years, 20 years, I mean, but I had no real concept of what, how to run a business. And by the way, I might say that I didn't just get that, get out, you know, ignorantly, I studied and I got a mentor and, you know, really tried mm -hmm. to prepare myself, which is an important aspect of it. So then I would say probably around October timeframe after I'd gotten out. So we're probably looking at close to, you know, nine, nine, probably nine months, really, <clears throat> that I, we started running out of money for starters. You see, I mean, we have a pension from the military, which is I'm so grateful for, but you can't sure. live on it. We had two young daughters, one and three. My wife was also had was starting a, a piano instruction business, teaching business which she had started in California. So she was doing her own thing. And I just started getting concerned about where all of this was going. And I was, you know, I was kind of looking at my watch saying, man, I don't have much time to make this happen. I don't know why I thought I could build a business in a year. Sure. You know, I mean, I just, it was retrospectively, it is ridiculous to even think that depending on what you're trying to do. So then that concern, you know, turned into frustration and more concern and frustration than fear, deep fear. I really became afraid and anxious and then depression and then anxiety and then bulging discs, mm, seriously, mm. laid flat on the floor, numb and pain on my left arm. That exacerbated my depression. Uh, it was downright ugly i mean i it was like yeah, i bet. couldn't move yeah so i mean there's things that 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 contribute to this but i won't go into that so in any event my wife began obviously was very concerned about my mm -hmm. state of affairs i mean I, I was 40 years old and i thought i was old and done for i mean think about that yeah and and you know and she jumped in there started studying depression and trying to understand it more. And she learned a few things, you know, God bless her. And she, one of the things she said one morning, she said, Kevin, I would like for you to go out of the house today and go to the coffee shop and get your laptop and just start writing words about how you feel and what's going on in your life and your head and your heart. And of course she learned this about journaling while, you know, if, if you're in a depressive state and the idea of getting mm -hmm. it out of your head and all these sorts of things, and so I trusted her. <laughs> uh, I did. And I started doing this and I did that for a good 30 days. And I started feeling a little bit better. I, I mean, there was still a lot of anxiety and some depression going on, but I was getting more functional. I was starting to think a little bit mm -hmm. more. And so after about 30 days, I would say I came home one evening and I had printed out everything that I had been writing and I handed it to her. And I said, you know, I just wanted to share this with you. This is what I 
been writing about and you know we we, we kind of roll like that you know we're open sure books yeah. to each other so she read it that evening and the next morning she got up she said kevin you've been talking about for years writing a book and this is it right here you should oh, wow. really move forward with it and i started doing that uh, and and so it, it several years later the book evolved but um but I will tell you one of the really important things about this transition is where the shift shift took place, if you will, that I started to really move forward with my life. Certainly it was my wife who played a huge part by just, yeah. you know, just being, you know, who she is and being a compassionate and empathetic, but also a little bit forceful as well. You know, she, she wasn't like, you know, snap out of it, you know, that sort of thing. But she knew that one of the premises that she was reading about is that you have to keep moving. Right. So, so that, that helped me a lot, but the biggest, the other biggest thing that happened uh, as I started writing and thinking and even dreaming about these things, Tim, was this, I learned that the entire time, especially when I got it, went to this dark place, I was completely asking the wrong question. I was asking things like this. And if you will allow me, uh, I was asking things like, you know, God, why are you doing this to me? Why are, you know, why are you sending me out to the desert for 40 days and, and causing me to have all this pain and struggle and yada, 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 yada. But as I started, like say again, commonly asked question i would imagine absolutely and you know but as as i started again be able to think better and and look at this i started realizing that fundamentally that question in and of itself was holding me back it was a negative form of a question and what i started then what when i my mind started shifting i started feeling a little bit better and i started to really put more of a positive shift in my thinking and my doing I started asking the following instead, God, what are you asking of me? Mm-hmm. What do you want me to do? And, you, you know, whether it's whether you're, a, you're you or listeners of faith based or not, it, it, in some sense, it's irrelevant, maybe not to me but, and people who have faith, but it's but just from even a, a sort of a practical and now I've learned and studied about this, the ideas of questions mm-hmm. is that one form of question holds you back. It keeps you right in your place. It's a negative-based question. And the other form of question sparks ideas in your mind and makes your mind want to find out what is the answer. So if I didn't say God, I could have said, I would have, I could have said, you know, you know, what am I most passionate about? What, what do I really want to do? What, what is life asking of me? You can ask all forms of questions, but those right. are forward thinking questions and they propel your mind moving forward to move forward because your mind becomes curious. Yeah. I think that's a very good point, Kevin, because I think many times when we are in those positions, we look at things uh, very inwardly instead of looking outwardly into what we can do, we're looking at what we can't do. And so nice just, the re- just, just the reframing of that question right there, going from what are you doing to me instead of what can, what can you help me do or what are yes. you wanting me to do, I think is a very important uh, frame of reference. 
But before we move on, I also have one more question for you about about the journaling aspect of things, because this gets brought up a lot. Uh, matter of fact, it's one of the things I talk about with my own counselor. Uh, she wants me to start journaling. Mm. And <clears throat> I have been, I will be honest, I have been hesitant up to this point to sit down and journal. Mainly, I think it's because I have never considered myself to be a writer. Just not my thing. Fair enough. And I also think uh, for me, it, it's a little bit of if I sit down and I write it, then, you know, it's one thing to say it as words because words are just they're they're tossed into the air and they can go away. Right. Yes. But but now I've written it down in ink or pencil or I've typed it. It's 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 putting down. It's been put down into something more concrete, something more real. How did journaling, though, help you? to move forward. What was, what was the impetus? You already told me what the impetus was. So I don't want to ask you that, but what, what was the effect on yes. you as you were writing this, you know, for that, I think you said a 30 day period that you were, going it, to the you know, about that. So? It was longer than that, but that's where I finally, you know, printed off everything I had sure. been writing. Yeah. Well, you know, first of all, I have to say that my wife is a consummate journaling a journaler. I mean, that she's got books of journals. She's done so much great journaling. And, um, and I, I don't know, maybe she started back then when she started reading about it. But the effect of journaling, it can be a variety of, of things. And by the way, so now I'm also talking in retrospect, at the time, I didn't completely know what the effect would be. Understood. You know, it, it was just essentially you know, put your thoughts on paper, you know, and, okay. and there's some kind of effect. Well, now I know that there's a lot of different things that can take place there. One of the, probably the biggest effect is just the idea. There's, I'm trying to think of his name right now. A guy wrote a book um, on, it was really more on productivity. I'll think of his name in a minute. And he, he explained it very well from this standpoint. Uh, and again, he's talking about productivity, but relatively the same concept of crowding your mind. He used the idea, and you I'm sure have heard this before, and your listeners would have heard this. He made journaling, really, he was talking about more to-dos, to-do mm -hmm. lists. And his point was this, that if you don't, it, it, you know, depending on your style, which would have been my style, you get too much stuff going on in your head. You can, it, it begins to act like a hard drive. And of course, uh, when you overload a hard drive, what does it do? It slows down. It can eventually crash. So we've all heard this. Right. But his point was this, and he had done the research on it. He said, getting, writing things down and that transfer of understanding and knowledge from your head to your paper is analogous to cleaning up your hard drive. You see, purging your hard mm -hmm. drive. And it allows it to move because he said what we don't see about these thoughts that we have. And again, it does depend on the personality style. Some people are very capable of doing this uh, and others are not. I'm not. He said that, you know, that when you think about things, again, depending on your personality, he said, if, if there's something that you think you need to do, let's say like to shop or, or, or to buy something or to do something, that while it may not be urgent, if, if you think it and believe that you need to do it, it stays there. You see, and mm -hmm. and along with all the other thoughts. So what eventually begins to happen is, of course, your mind begins to slow down. It's hard to remember things. 
And this is in part, so, so when I did this journaling, part of what was happening was getting this stuff out of my head onto paper and being able to look at it and say, okay, I see what's going on here. Here's the other way of looking at it. You probably heard of the term masterminding. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you, I belong to a couple of masterminds. My wife and I are prolific masterminders. When I have an issue that I need to really think through, I send her a text or a message or I call her, or I go see her and I say, Jane, I need you to help me think through this. It's maybe something very complicated. And she knows, and we've been married for 35 years now. She knows exactly what I mean when I say that, because we've been doing this for 20 years since we've gotten out. And so she knows her role, and I do this for her too, is to help me think through. How does she sure. do it? Sometimes she says nothing. Sometimes she just asks questions. Sometimes she just reflects back to me. And what does this do? Again, it gets out of my head and I start to have this mirroring effect that I'm seeing a little bit more of what I'm trying to uh, trying to organize in my head. So in that same way, this is what journaling does for people. It's one of the things, it does many th- things, but it has the effect of getting stuff out of your head and it allows you to think about it from a different perspective and in a more organized fashion. Okay. You know, the other thing I will just tell you real quick that my wife, and again, she's a master journaler. She'll, she'll, she'll tell you that she somewhat, I think in a pleasant way, not in a weird way, she is able to analyze her life by looking back at her journals. You know, and saying last year, this time I was thinking this and I was struggling with this and here's how I worked my way through it. It's very, it was fascinating. I can see how that could be cathartic in a lot of ways. I can see how that would be beneficial. I can see how that would, you know, uh, affect you moving forward. If you're able to see, I think sometimes, you know, there's the old saying, you know, you you don't know where you're going to look at where you've been. And I, and I think that there's a lot of truth to that in in many ways in life. Um, well, and you can I, see I, patterns, you know, and that's the big thing. And that's true, what she yeah. talks a lot about is the patterns of, of her behaviors and her thinking. Okay. <clears throat> so from, from going from being journaling to being a book, how close is the book to the original journal that you started with? Um, boy, that's hard to say because it was, it was something that I would not recommend to anybody to do it that way because what, what uh, and one of the reasons why it took so long is because I had no thoughts about it being a book. I just started dumping, mind dumping. But here's the interesting thing though, Tim. So even though I spent all these years in the Air Force, I also, I started studying and I do mean, I became a real student of personal growth, probably around 82, 83, whenever it was Tony Robbins first started coming out with these infomercials. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was glued to that stuff. I was biting all kinds of tapes and really, and then, and then even in the Air Force, I, I became uh, one of the professionals that helped to integrate Stephen Covey's work seven habits, principle centered leadership and all these into the air force. So I was immersing myself into personal growth for many, many years. And so as I got to this point where I'm now trying to get out of this really bad, dark place, this funk, I was in the weirdest way, kind of coaching and counseling myself at the same time, because I had (laughs) 20 years worth of knowledge and work in personal growth. It was the weirdest thing. And so I would talk about how I'm feeling and then I'd start, you know, writing about, you know, you know, my vision and how you create a vision. Just, I just let it be a mind up for 30 days plus. And so the problem is though, once I started down this road of, of, 
of turning it into a book, I had this mass of text that, you know, I mean, as I went back and read it, I, for instance, would tell a story more than once. I told it at the beginning of the, of the writing and then later sure. on forgot and told the same. So there was so much to weed through, first of all, just to get it into the form of a book that um, it right. was quite the struggle. I ended up, you know, I ended up with an editor who helped me tremendously. Matter sure. of fact, she's up there in your area in Tra is it Traverse? Traverse City. Traverse City, excuse me, Traverse City, yes. Yeah, okay. And and, uh, and so so uh, so I think conceptually much of it's there, you know, but there was a lot of garbage in there too because again, I was just brain dumping. Okay, excellent. All right, so let's, let's move forward from the point of you getting this book together, you've edited it, what happens next? Uh, with the book, you mean, or just uh, you and, you, moving on? That or you in general? Yes. So yeah, I published the book in 2012, and uh, and um, and then I continued on. Now again, it's it's 2012. I probably didn't really get serious writing it to about, um, you know, because it went on the shelf, off the shelf, on the shelf. So it took me several years really to crank that thing out. Mm -hmm. But you know, probably around 2006, I would say I started. You know, 2004 probably to 2006 six started really uh, immersing myself more into the, the world of keynote speaking and doing uh, seminars and workshops, started really heavy into coaching. And so really just started developing my practice. And, and even though here it is 2022, you know, I feel like, you know, at least according to my own uh, estimations, I'm successful at what I'm doing. Uh, it was a complete slog, you know, I mean, I sure. just, cr you know, just clawed my way to the point that I am now, because again, I just, um, there was so much to learn and so much to understand and figuring out my niche and all these other sorts of things, you know, but the other part of this that I realized, certainly when the book was published, of course, I started talking about it a lot more and people were asking me about it, people were reading about it. And there was a you know a couple of book clubs based on that. And so it started, you know, and what's important about that is it started reminding me of concepts that I had been thinking about and, mm -hmm. and talking about and developing over the years and just started realizing things like um, like this. And I think this will be helpful to your to your viewers. So the book is called The Gap Between Two Worlds, you know, taking difficult life transitions and turn them into personal growth experiences, it comes with a visual model or metaphor, if you will. And it's a simple premise that you have the old world and that's your current state. So, uh, so let's say, you know, just as an example, you're, you're, you've been married for 30 years, you have three kids or about to go to college and then, or it could be a scenario you've worked in a, a place for 25 years and you're going to retire or you're going to move to another job. So that's the old world. Then you have the new world. And this is, and the, the premise of the book is that there's a gap between those two worlds, the current state and the future state. Now that's not rocket science, that, that, is, that is it. But the challenge is, is not the change, but the transition. So depending sure. on what, uh, what precipitates the, or what, what, you know, what comes before the, the, um, the transition, then has a big determination on how well, how resilient you are, how well you make it to the to the next world, because that gap 
is composed of primarily emotional, psychological issues, the things that will either propel you forward or hold you back. Um, and there, there's, there's a lot of steps that I could talk about, but one of the things that I talk about in the book that has become so important to me is, is, is a few things. One, understanding, and, and we're talking about now in terms of moving forward and becoming resilient. Um, I, do, I do take grief and put it to the side a little bit more. Grief is, is different than most transitions because it goes so deep emotionally um, it's harder to predict and suggest, like, for instance, something as simple as how long should I grieve before I move on? I mean, that's just, uh, there's no way to predict it. There is a point where one has to say, okay, it's time to move on, Tim. Right. But it's hard to determine that. In fact, when I know Different. people lost a loved one, I don't, and, and I have a book and I know it's on change and transition and how to get through that. I don't even send them one because I think to myself, uh, it's not even appropriate. They're, they're, they have to grieve first. There's no real moving into the, you know, no. if you're doing anything, it's more of you You have to eventually, you're stepping into the gap backwards. The new world's behind you. You're still focused on the old world. And so what really has to happen is slowly the person turns around and then begins the process of transitioning. So one, um, recognizing that you're in transition is is so much bigger than most people understand that if you can only say to yourself, I've made this major transition or in grief that I'm in grief and it's very natural and that there is a life, there is a, there is a, a, a period of time that it will exist and that I don't need to fight it and that there's nothing wrong with me uh, is a tremendous uh, burden off of people's backs. Mm -hmm. When they realize they have lost their job after 25 years that they absolutely love and they have no idea what they're going to do. Now they have more of a sense of urgency because if they need the money, they need to go out and do that. But the idea that things are going to change and understanding that becomes very important. So that's one thing. But the second thing is, is beginning to understand and shape your future. So there's a, there's a saying that I like to say that you either shape your future or the shoot future will shape you. You will find a new normal. It may not be the one you want, though, if you are not more deliberate about what that new normal looks like. Absolutely. And so, yes, it's a, it's, it's such a key. And that's what good coaches and, and, or, or good friends or other people will help you do is, is to just ask you simple questions like, okay, so Tim, you lost your job. You, you loved it 25 years. Um, you know, you're ready to talk about it. You're ready to make something happen. You know, certainly this is traumatic. It's, it's painful. It's confusing. It's disorienting. But if you could really recreate, you know, your new job, what would it be? You see, you see how, you know, a little switch can go off there. Sure. And, it, and I'm beginning to just simply ask you, what would it look like? And the more that you begin to shape this idea, you begin to shape an understanding of where you're going. And this is so, so critical. And, and I mean, so it's just a really important premise. And so where did I go after writing the book? Um, talking about these things. I, I think it, <laughs> I think it's really important that, that, that we, we kind of 
identify both of these things that you talked about, Mm -hmm. because number one, you talked about putting grief to the side. And I think it's really Mm -hmm. important that we, that we learn how to do that because, and I think one of the things I love the most about what you said is that you recognize the fact that everybody grieves in their own way. And there's really no timeline to say when it's appropriate that, okay, you have to be done. But I think also the other thing that you said there that I really appreciate, and I wanted to really kind of highlight this is that you said that there has to be a point where you, you say, okay, it's time to, to pick up and move on. Yeah. And it's not that there's a, there's a, um, how do I say this? That we're, that you're forgetting your past or you're forgetting right. the, the thing no. that's behind you. It's, it's you an acceptance it. of, of situation. And, and then that moves you right into that second point. You talked about finding, you know, having that new normal. Yes. And, and one of the things that, that my wife and I talked about a lot, because, you know, there's not only my daughter's hospitalization, I had my own heart issues in my thirties. And, you know, one of the things that we had to discover was our new normal. And I've, I have felt for like the last 15 years of my life that my wife and I are, have felt that we're always discovering our new normal. Mm-hmm. What's our new normal, especially in this last couple of years throughout the pandemic, you know, rediscovering what that new normal is. Mm-hmm. I think that if we have, if we can find a way to acceptance of what that new normal is, it helps us to do just as you were saying, to redefine how we our perspective, to change how we look at things, to change how we normalize things in our own mind. And that allows us to move forward. So I really liked both of those points and, and how you brought them forward. And it, honestly, it makes me want to read your book more. Uh- well, you know, I appreciate <laughs> it. I, I, I don't, I, you know, I don't write a lot about the grief process because to me, that is a different book. I have, it's certainly been on the front of my mind to write the, you know, a series of books, one of them being the gap for the grieving, but you know, my wife and I, we lost four people last year. You know, she lost three and I lost my father. She lost her mother. She lost her brother. Suddenly she lost a very close aunt to her. And even with this grieving, um, I can only be honest with you and your listeners. It was a painful, painful year. And, but there were so many considerations. Like I remember, I, I hope she doesn't mind me sharing this with you, but I remember when her brother passed in the fall. I mean, actually it was in December, I think. And her mother had passed in July. You know, she, you know, it was just so heartbroken for her because there came a time after he passed and she was weeping and, and I'm just was trying to just be compassionate for her. And she said, sure. she said, Kevin, I'll be honest with you. The craziest thing going on in my head is I actually don't know who I'm crying for right now my brother or my mother, you know, cause she was still very much grieving her mother. Oh, sure. Yeah. And, and I just, and, and when she said that, I just like, I was like, wow. I mean, you know, that's just a little bit more of the complications of grieving, but I will also say one more thing to your audience here. And that is, you know, I think about sort of a picture in my mind about this grieving thing and about when people should move forward. I think about, let's just say the mother, uh, and she, and 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 was a mother, you know, with with a child that she was very close to, and let's say it was an elementary school child or something, and mm-hmm. and she lost this child suddenly, and she but she never changes the room it, that that where the where the child slept, and so every every day she she goes up to the room and she goes into the room and she weeps. And so you think to yourself, how long should a person do that? At what point does she go, it's time to 
change the room. It's time right. to, to clear this out. But when do you say that? A month, six months, a year? We would all agree that at some given point, a person needs to change, to move forward. It's just too hard. And, and, and again, I, I, couldn't even, I couldn't even suggest a particular time, but I might suggest if it were a prolonged period of time, then the person is in need of help, you right. see, to, to work through the grief. Like if you've experienced grief, you know, Tim, one of the things that I think almost everybody in some form or fashion suffer from is, uh, is regret, is guilt. You know, even when my father passed, I had tremendous guilt. Uh, I spent a lot of time with him in his last three years, but still had tremendous guilt in, did I spend enough time with him? You see? Understood. It's, 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 uh, so, so there you have it. No, those, those are all very fair points. Mm -hmm. And again, going back to that, that, that uh, disclaimer of there is no timeline on grief. And so, yeah, but at a certain point, you're right. You know, how do we and then encourage that person to yeah. go seek help lovingly, kindly you got uh, to show, to show that we are caring not only about their loss, but also their emotional state at the time. That's exactly it's, right. It's, it's a very complex situation it and is. it's, I don't think easily defined or easily answered uh, to yes. be honest with you. I agree with that. All right. So Kevin, we've, we've had a, a phenomenal conversation up to this point. I have thoroughly and wholeheartedly enjoying this. Thank you. Uh, so too. very much. You're very easy to talk to. You're very easy to listen to. Uh, but I have a couple questions I need to ask you. Then these are the questions that I ask every guest that's ever been on focused on forward. And so I can't let you get out of here without you answering okay. them as well. The first one is looking back over the entirety of your experience. What is the single greatest lesson that you have learned? Man, that's, that is a tough one. You'd think I'd be ready for something like that. <laughs> there, you know, honestly, it just feels like there's many things, but I guess, I don't know if it's the most important or the biggest thing, but certainly at the top. And that is the idea of ego. That your ego in all of these circumstances, mostly if we're talking about moving forward, Maybe ego is less of is it's part of it, but really maybe I should say more uh, more the word humility. And by the way, I will say for, for your listeners that when I talk about the ego and I do talk about it a fair amount, I don't talk about the ego as though it's a bad thing. The ego is is what it is. It's there. We all have one. You couldn't survive without it, quite frankly. So I don't think when when people hear this word ego it has this connotation. Oh, I'm not full of myself. No, it's not what I'm talking about. It's this idea that your ego tries to protect you and your identity from outside forces or including yourself, by the way. So the other way maybe to couch that is to say, is that humility, being a humble person, particularly as you are considering moving forward, is incredibly important. Why? Because if you really want to move forward in the most informed way, it is asking other people's opinions. Well, to do that, you have to have a form of humility. You have to be able to say things like, I did with my, my wife. Why? I didn't mean to say it to her. It was very apparent that I was all jacked up. But I was, but I not only uh, allowed her to, I wanted her to be my guide. I wanted her to, to, to share with me that my perception was off about whatever I was thinking about. Mm. 
Right. And you can't come to the table with this giant ego or just say lack in humility and get honest assessment. So if I'm a, your friend, Tim, and I say, I say, Tim, you know, I'm thinking about, uh, I, I'm, I'm thinking about um, changing this job or, or, you know, or something like this. And, and you, and you, uh, and you start asking me questions and I, then I start protecting my identity and saying, Oh no, I'm not, it's not like I'm feeling bad about it or anything. You know, or let me just say you you decide to just give me some feedback and I get all defensive and start pushing back. What's the likelihood you're going to come back a second time and give me some honest uh, feedback or assessment or perspective? Pretty, pretty slim. Pretty slim. And that's the point. And so as you as people try to propel themselves forward, you know, think about those two things, the ego and, and humility and how important it is not to just throw your stuff all out on the street and, you know, post it on social media, not even talk about that, man, find yourself a sane, common sense, smart person that you can ask their feedback and perspective on. Very good. I like that. All right. Second question, pretty similar to the first. Okay. Looking back over the entirety of your experience, what's the single greatest piece of advice that you have been given? Hmm. Okay. Good one. Um, it's really almost that there's so much. It's almost like just trying to narrow it down to to a few things. Understood. Um, the single piece of advice that I have received, you know, I'm going to stall here for a second and just say that I've always looked for mentors. So I, you know, I've always looked for and tried to have mentors. And, and maybe that is actually the advice, even though somebody didn't say this to me, I learned over the years how incredibly important a mentor is at every juncture of my life, including right now. I have a spiritual mentor. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I have my wife. I literally consider her as a mentor in a lot of ways, but um, it has been probably at least one of the greatest things that I feel so grateful that I stumbled across. And, and, and it's a fairly... Uh, natural thing inside of the military that I came across this idea of having a mentor, somebody that I could talk to, somebody that I could express myself to, somebody that could give me advice or ask questions. I've had mentors all along my life, and I credit every last one of them, including the bad ones, for whatever success I have right here. So there, I kind of cheated, but there's my answer. <laughs> I'll take the cheat. I like the cheat. We're good there. So <laughs> that's, that's a good answer. You're gracious uh, to let me off the hook. <laughs> hey, well, you know, so, you know, it, it'd be one thing if you hadn't brought a good answer to the table with, with the cheat. So, but since you did, you know, off the hook, okay. you go. Thank you. All right, Kevin, uh, if my listeners and my followers want to have an opportunity to learn more about you, your book, your show, how do they do that? Thank you, Tim. I appreciate you offering that. Well, my book is on Amazon, The Gap Between Two Worlds. You know, look it up on my name. Um, the It was on special, by the way. I don't know if it still is. Um, so so you can find my book there. I'm at KevinMcNultySpeaks.com. KevinMcNultySpeaks.com is my website. And uh, my podcast is Grow Yourself. And it kind of exists you know, everywhere, Spotify and all these other mm -hmm. places. Again, just look up, grow yourself from the inside out. And it is a personal growth podcast. And, and, uh, and so, yeah, it's pretty, pretty easy to find. 
Okay. Excellent. Yeah. I am. Uh, you gained a new sub today, by the way, that was me. So, uh, <laughs> I appreciate that. Matter of fact, I should say, since you asked really YouTube and I'm still trying to crack YouTube, but that's the place that probably you can easily find me the most is right on YouTube. Excellent. All right. I'll make sure that we share uh, links to all those nice. down below down in the show notes, uh, the book included, and I'm, I will be getting that, that book myself here in the next couple of days. You, sir. The more nice. we've talked about it, I'm, I'm, I'm more intrigued to read it. So, uh, well, I hope it meets your expectations. It. You know, I, I mean, it's, you know, well, I, I think we'll be okay there based on our conversation. I think we'll be okay. So Kevin, thank you so much for, for coming on focused on forward today. Thank you for sharing your story and, and thank you for sharing and helping us understand what that gap between the two worlds is like. And, and really it's something that we all go through. It's something that we all deal with. And so maybe uh, if, if only, and I say this often, but if we only help one person to understand and how to move forward, then we've done our job here today. So thank you. That's a real thing. Uh, listen, Tim, it's, it's a pleasure and you're, you're a terrific host. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you very much. All right, guys, that's going to conclude us today for Focused on Forward. Well, that concludes another episode of Focused on Forward. To be a guest of Focused on Forward, you can reach us through Twitter at podcastfof, through our Facebook page named Focused on Forward, or through email focusedonforward at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing each and every one of your stories that has yet to be told. So until then, be safe. Be kind and be loving to one another as you stay focused on forward.